coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. Monday, May 21 edition PFT PM podcast. Hello, PFT PM posse. People ask me all the time. Actually, no one ever has really. What do you need to do to be a member of the PFTPM Posse? I say there's two requirements. One, follow the PFTPM Posse account on Twitter. It's at PFTPMPOSSE. And subscribe to the PFTPM Podcast. You do that and you're in. Unless your stats, if your stats are still not in. Because you'll never be in because stats isn't welcome in the PFTPM Posse. And I bet... He follows the PFTPM Posse account, at least through a burner account, and that he subscribes to the podcast because he needs to monitor everything I say. He gets very nervous about what I say. He thinks I'm going to blurt out a swear word during the PFT Live in the morning. Like, I can't separate the situations where I'm speaking into a microphone on an FCC-regulated radio show and when I'm just doing this and I can say hell or shit if I feel like it I was watching Walk the Line over the weekend it's one of my favorite movies of all time that I don't watch nearly enough I need to put it in the once per year rotation but it's great when he's at Folsom Prison and he comes out and he says just want y'all to know that they're recording this today so you can't say hell or shit or anything like that best scene in that movie Stop and ask yourself, if you've seen it, what's the best scene? There's my two favorite scenes. One, well, let me give you the second one first. We'll build a little suspense. When he comes out with the glass of yellow water, getting ready to sing Cocaine Blues at Folsom. That that scene's great. Because he says that he thinks that he was pretty tough and he's seen a thing or two and he's been around and he said he hadn't seen tough until he'd seen that yellow water that they have. And he doesn't know how those guys drink it. And he slammed it down. He said, this one's for your warden. Right after the warden asked him to not continuously remind the men that they were in prison. He said, do you think they forgot? And then the best moment is when he and his two colleagues are playing for the record executive at some little rinky-dink studio, and they're playing this soulless gospel music. He stops them and he gives them that speech that what's the one song, if you're lying dead in the gutter, that you would want to mark your existence on this earth? And He breaks into Folsom Prison Blues. The all-time greatest lyric, in my estimation, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Nothing like that. Who says that in the 50s? Who publishes a song that has that line in it? I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Anyway, I had no intention of even talking about that movie. I don't know why it even came up. Oh, because I I, I can say hell and shit. And other things. I still haven't crossed the F word boundary. I don't think I have. Chris Sims almost goaded me into it. Because he said it like seven or eight times. Some Patriots fans probably saying it seven or eight times in succession when Tom Brady didn't show up for OTAs on Monday. Look, this is a big deal. And I understand, people. I understand that these are voluntary workouts. I get it. 
I get it that guys don't have to be there. Now, every year we go through this. People don't show up for the off-season workouts. And we pointed out as members of the media, and there will be fans who say, well, they have a right to not be there. These are voluntary. Of course they're voluntary. They don't have to be there. But when established veterans, when key players don't show up, that's a big deal. When a starting quarterback isn't there, that's a huge deal. I remember 2017 and 2016, the two years that I act like that was a long time ago. You know, I remember back in 2016, last year and the year before that, Kirk Cousins was operating under the franchise tag. And if he really wanted to screw with Washington... All he had to do was not show up for the offseason program. 2016 he did because he'd never been a starter before and he wanted to get himself ready. Last year, if he wanted to stick it to him, if he really wanted to twist it, sign the franchise tender so they can't rescind it. I mean, after all, it was $24 million, 23.95, something like that. You sign it, but you don't show up for the offseason program. Drive them crazy. Put leverage on them. There's value in withholding services as the starting quarterback. You're the starter. You're part of the coaching staff. You're part of them. You set the tone. How do you set the tone for the young players if the starting quarterback doesn't regard the workouts as sufficiently important to justify his attendance? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's why, you know what? I gave in to the... The devil on the left shoulder. Sometimes the angel on the right shoulder just isn't there, so it makes it very easy to say the things that I probably shouldn't say. But I saw the ESPN NFL account with a clip, a 55-second clip from Shefty. Adam Schefter thinks Tom Brady not participating in the Patriots OTAs is a red flag. No shit. No shit. It's a red flag. And I retweeted, um, yeah, any starting quarterback boycotting OTAs is a red flag. And it's true. Starting quarterback decides to give the head coach and the rest of the organization the finger and not show up for OTAs, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's not a red flag. So we still don't know what Tom Brady wants. Remember I said a couple weeks ago, I kind of like the fact that with Ben Roethlisberger, you know where you stand. If he's pissed about something, he goes on 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh and lets us all know what he's pissed about, gets us out of his system and everything's fine. With Brady, he's been bottling it up for the last 18 years. He don't know what to do now. He's so pissed. What's he pissed about? Is he pissed about his contract? He should be. When he signed his last deal, he was averaging $20.5 million. The top of the market was $22.133 million. Joe Flacco. Now the top of the market's $30 million. Brady's still at 20.5. At one point, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, said, hey, we don't have a problem with it. If he doesn't have a problem with it, if somebody has a problem with it, expect somebody to say so at some point. Well, maybe Tom Brady thinks, I shouldn't have to say I have a problem with this. I shouldn't have to ask for a new contract. I shouldn't have to reduce myself to saying, please, sir, may I have some more? They should be filling up his plate. He also may still be upset about the Malcolm Butler situation. 505 passing yards and a sixth Super Bowl ring taken away from Brady because of the still unexplained decision to not use Malcolm Butler in that game. What's up with that? And then 
who knows what else is lingering? Who knows what fumes may be out there of this Jimmy Garoppolo situation? Who knows what Bill Belichick wanted to do this year? Did Belichick want, for example, to move on from Tom Brady in 2018? Did Brady catch wind of it? Is Brady pissed off about it? Tom, do you feel appreciated by the organization? I plead the fifth. And then he didn't answer the question. Oh, you're making too much of it. No, I'm not. Answer the damn question. Do you feel appreciated by the team, yes or no? I plead the fifth. And then he doesn't answer. Boy, that's a tough question. No, it's not. Not if you feel appreciated. If you feel appreciated, the answer is yes. If you don't, the answer is no. Well, everybody wants to feel more appreciated at work. That's not the question. Do you want to be more appreciated at work? Boy, he'd be a good politician. Answer the damn question, Tommy. I don't care if he does or doesn't, but if he doesn't answer it, I'm going to say, well, he hasn't answered it. That, that's one of those situations where anything other than yes is no. There's an issue. There's a problem. And he's playing games with the team. And maybe that's what it comes down to. He's playing with the, the games with the team because he can. Because what are they going to do? Go with Brian Hoyer? They're screwed. I must cross the F-word border there. I'm going to save it for a time where it really, really needs it, really justifies it. They're screwed without Brady this year. And he knows it. And he's making sure they know it. So, yes, it's a big deal, without question. Now, show up for mandatory minicamp. What are they going to get done in three days? When you've got these 10 on-field practice sessions that Brady isn't there for, you got new players, new running backs, new receivers. I think Sony Michelle would probably like to get a feel for a handoff from Tom Brady. Maybe Brady's not there for self-protection after getting his hand gashed by Rex Burkhead last year in a practice. Maybe Brady's healthier staying away from any helmets. I don't want to be around any helmets. I'll just go be pliable. Now, Gronkowski, I'm told, is going to show up at some point. I think they're working on a deal with Gronk, and they'll get it done at the one-year anniversary of his last deal. I think it was like May 24, so it's coming. I think he'll be there soon. Brady, I don't know. Maybe they got to wake up and pay the man. It's going to be a weird, awkward year in New England. It's already awkward. It's already strange. At some point, he just needs to come out and say what the deal is, because it's not going to go away until he does. Hey, Tom, what's the deal? The deal with Matt Patricia is that the NFL has looked into the situation arising from his hiring, arising from the fact that the Lions didn't know that he'd been indicted for aggravated sexual assault in 1996, that he didn't disclose it during the interview, had no duty to disclose it. The NFL looked into the situation, and it's important to remember what the NFL didn't do. The NFL didn't discipline Patricia for the actual allegation. How could the NFL do it? It happened years before he was even working in the NFL. They can't do anything about that. Now, if he would ever be accused of violating the personal conduct policy in a similar way moving forward, then it might be relevant to go investigate it. But what are they going to do? They're going to get the alleged victim who ultimately chose not to testify in open court 20 years ago to talk now? Here's the statement. From the league office, our office reviewed the matter with the Lions and Mr. Patricia and ensured the club engaged in appropriate and thorough hiring practices and that the coach did not mislead the team during the interview process. 
We determined that the Lions handled the interview process in a thoughtful and comprehensive manner and fully and appropriately complied with all applicable employment laws. As we learned from both Mr. Patricia and the Lions, the matter was not part of his employment interview process for job opportunities outside of or within the NFL. That part where he didn't mislead the team during the interview process... See, they're not supposed to ask him about arrests. Teams don't ask, employers don't ask about arrests. They ask about convictions. Now, would it have been permissible for the Lions to find out about it and have an off-the-record conversation? I, I, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. And it's clear that they believe Patricia didn't do anything wrong in connection with this interview, so there's really nothing they can do about it. There's nothing they can do at this point. But here's, here's the reality. And maybe they're confident that the alleged victim isn't going to come forward. As I said a week and a half ago when this all first bubbled up, that's the next thing. That's the only thing that will move the needle going forward. The story came out, it's been less than two weeks ago. It's amazing how much happens in a short period of time. The story came out on a Wednesday night. Matt Patricia addressed it in a statement that night. The Lions did as well. Patricia met the media the next day, a previously scheduled press conference, which really makes me curious about the timing of the release of that story by the Detroit News. And then that's it. Now, I got emails from various people, no one in the league, but people who expressed skepticism about the situation. And I don't think Patricia ultimately did himself any real favors by not answering the questions. He answered them, but he didn't give a real answer. But you know what? It worked. Because it all died down. And, and, and I knew it was going to die down. We move on to the next thing if there's a vacuum. We get to the point when there's nothing more to talk about. And we move on. Now, USA Today, I think it was, had a story with some of the details that were available in the police in... Texas were looking into their old files to see if they could find the police report, which would have had more detail. And you know what? Maybe something pops up down the road, but I just feel like it's done now until the alleged victim comes forward. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. I don't know what she's waiting for if she's planning to. Now, apparently there are some laws in the various jurisdictions that limit the extent to which someone can be badgered by the media a person who alleges rape. It's not like they can camp out on her lawn and wait for her to say something and force her to say something. And most news organizations won't mention the name of someone who claims to have been the victim of rape. But if she chooses to come forward, I mean, if she was behind the leaking of this, then common sense suggests that at some point she may tell her story. You know, it's one thing to not be willing to get on a witness stand and be subjected to aggressive cross-examination. It's another thing just tell your story to a favorable reporter. And if the allegations were false in 1996, well, maybe false allegations will be made again in 2018. So that's where this goes from here, if anywhere. It's dead as far as I'm concerned, unless and until the alleged victim comes forward. The Colin Kaepernick litigation against the NFL continues to move forward. We had a story today. And look, I knew what the reaction was going to be. I knew that, that when I reported what I reported, and, and it's the first 
actual substance as it relates to the Kaepernick collusion grievance. We've had reports and accounts of who's being questioned, and that's newsworthy. Whether it's Ravens GM Ozzie Newsom and head coach John Harbaugh, whether it's Seahawks GM John Schneider and coach Pete Carroll, whether it's Texans owner Bob McNair, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, the commissioner, those are noteworthy. And I think the total is up to like 14 now. You lose track. Got to go back and pull up the latest story that may have the list of all of the people who have been questioned. Kaepernick himself gave a deposition. Kaepernick's exercising his prerogative to show up for these depositions. This is the first evidence that has emerged. And what we reported Monday morning, it was something I worked on over the weekend, that internal documents generated as part of what they call the discovery process. And I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't think of this. I always like to try to take where we are now and help the audience see where we're going. And the fact that I practice law, I know I mention that all the time, but I mean, for most people, they're not thinking that the guy that is talking into a microphone practiced law, that's kind of a rarity in this business where you practice for 18 years. Like, man, this guy's really old as shit. He practiced law for 18 years. Well, some of it overlapped, like nine years of it overlapped with what I'm doing now, but I should have. This is one instance where I probably should keep my mouth shut about practicing law. I should ixnay on the on the uh, actus prey of Ale and and just keep my mouth shut altogether because I should have realized that the discovery process wouldn't just be targeted at text messages, emails, etc. that were exchanged among owners, executives, people in the league office, etc. regarding interest or lack thereof in Colin Kaepernick. I should have realized that Kaepernick's lawyers would be getting their hands on the documents created by the teams that show their evaluation of Colin Kaepernick as the 2017 free agency period approached. And remember that narrative. And I've written a couple of things about this, but remember that narrative, March of 2017. Well, he opted out of his contract. It's on him. Well, he's not really committed to football. It's on him. Well, he wants too much money. It's on him. All of these roadblocks that were thrown out there, not just to distract from the search for the truth, because the truth ultimately came out. In July, the truth came out when the Ravens considered, to their credit, they considered signing Colin Kaepernick, and then they went too far with it, and they had to explain that it's not about football. It's about the fan reaction to his protest during the national anthem. The truth finally came out. But one thing I've realized all of the bullshit that came out and we knew it was bullshit as it was coming out we meaning the folks at pft who were writing about it and i think most fair-minded people know bullshit when they see it this idea that there wasn't a single nfl evaluator that regarded colin kaepernick as a starter as slapdick after slapdick were getting signed by nfl teams and kaepernick wasn't even getting a phone call wasn't getting a workout wasn't getting an inquiry well, he wants too much money. Well, how do you know if you don't ask him? Well, he wants to be the starter. Well, how do you know if you don't ask him? How do you know? All of that stuff was baloney. But it still endures. 
That's the beauty of this. And I don't know whether the NFL did this on purpose or whether it was just a brilliant accident. But the end result is even now, even now, I see people say, well, he opted out of his contract. People still say that. I don't know how many times I have to say the team was going to cut him if he didn't opt out. Now, from a PR standpoint, he probably should have let the 49ers cut him because then that's one less thing that the anti-Kaepernick crowd can cling to to shout down anyone who starts making progress on the argument that he was wronged. See, that's what happens. People start making progress on the argument that he was wronged. So the people who just don't like him, and you're allowed to not like him. You're allowed to dislike him. You're allowed to dislike his protest. You're allowed to disagree with protesting when he protested and how he protested. But don't let that cloud your judgment of what's right and wrong. And see, what happened was, from March until July, there was bullshit that was being put out there that allowed people to say, oh, no, he's, he's not employed for reasons other than his protests. And then when the truth finally came out, the people that don't like him were still, eh, that's fine, yeah, okay. Uh, the, the owner gets to decide whatever the owner wants to decide. If you don't want someone working for you for whatever reason, that's your right, more power to you. Ignoring the fact that Colin Kaepernick was doing something that the NFL gave him the right to do. And after he protested for the very first time in August of 2016, the NFL didn't say, Colin, you must stand for the anthem. The NFL, NFL said, we're fine with that. People don't understand the, the I, look, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, we're all human beings in this business. At least I think most of us are. And we all have our motivations for doing what we do. And there were, there are people who will lie through their teeth to advance their own agenda, to advance their own career, to say what they think their current or future employers want them to say. And trust me, if you're spreading this bullshit about Colin Kaepernick, you're going to be more attractive to certain employers who are giving out money and jobs, right? Because that's what they want. They want people, they being the NFL, if the NFL is hiring, or any of the teams or any media companies that want to curry favor with the NFL by by spouting off the talking points. They want that. So, look, there's always a financial motivation potentially at play. And you have people who just genuinely believe that the guy got screwed. I just don't know why people work so hard to fight it. I don't know why people work so hard to shout down. Like, I understand that you're entitled to be upset with the guy. But there's also an, a basic obligation of human decency to take a step back and say, you know what, even though I don't like what this guy did, the NFL told him he could do it. And then the NFL screwed him over. it. So, at some point, the evidence is going to come out. For now, the preview that I managed to get access to is that internal documents along with opinions of decision makers, Kaepernick was viewed by multiple teams as a starter in 2017 and is still viewed by multiple teams as a potential starter in the NFL. So why doesn't he have a job? He doesn't have a job because of his protests. Now, whether or not that's collusion, it's a different issue. Collusion is coordination. 
the reason doesn't matter. If you have coordination, you have a violation of the CBA. That's what they're trying to prove. But there is this broader play here, this broader effort to show that the NFL is in the right. Kaepernick is in the wrong. And I understand it's hard to set down the political side of this. It really is. I understand that. But, you know, I, and I don't care. I don't care about the politics. I just don't like being lied to. I really don't care about the politics here. And I don't mean it from the standpoint of I'm, I'm ambivalent about it or I'm, I'm apathetic about it. I, I understand why he, he kneels. I understand the reasons for it. I find the reasons for it compelling. I personally believe that people can exercise their First Amendment rights however they want. I personally am not someone who would be inclined to do anything other than stand at attention and put a hand over the heart and remove my hat. Not that I wear one in public anyway, because it makes me look like even more of a doofus. But regardless of how you feel about the politics, it's just a matter of... Are we being lied to? Is there bullshit at play here? Has there been bullshit at play here? And, and yes. Yes. And the ultimate question, was there collusion? We'll find out. But I said last week on Dan Patrick's show that I sense a quiet confidence among Kaepernick's representatives, and I, I still believe that. They are going about building their case one brick at a time, and at some point it'll be time to put those bricks out. Now, if it was a jury, I think it's a slam dunk if it's a jury. If you get a chance to properly vet the jury and strike anyone who feels strongly one way or the other politically, if you get a jury of truly neutral people who are willing to hear the evidence and come to a conclusion, I think this is a slam dunk. It's harder to win your case in front of an arbitrator because arbitrators, by definition, by reality, they don't factor in the emotion. They don't factor in the human element. They're going to make the decisions based on a calculated assessment of the law. And sometimes you need more than that. Sometimes you need that human feeling. Sometimes you need good old-fashioned layperson common sense. But even without that, I still think there's a chance based upon what I kind of know, what I've kind of heard, what I kind of believe, I think there's a chance to prove that there was coordination among the teams. And I believe, I don't know this, but I believe that the proof of the coordination won't be that there was some meeting of 32 teams where they secretly agreed not to employ Colin Kaepernick. I believe there will be evidence of communications from the league office to the various teams explaining directly or implicitly that it's not desirable to have someone like Colin Kaepernick on the team. Anyway, just understand what it is, understand what it isn't. And I'm not going to respond to everybody in the media who feels compelled to attack me over this. You know, And I know the louder the attack, the more potent the point that was made, the stronger the value of the evidence that we put out there. And I knew when I pressed the publish button, there would be people in the media who choose to attack me over it. We know how this game works. We see it play out in real politics. We see it play out in the NFL. I just wonder about the true agendas of some of the people. Are they just being stubborn? Do they do they subjectively believe they're right? Or are they posturing themselves to curry favor with people who are paying them now or will pay them in the future? Or will give them information in the future? 
That was my suspicion last year when people in the media were gladly spreading the bullshit about Colin Kaepernick. Happily spreading it. Not a single NFL evaluator believes he's a starter. I remember when I saw that from Albert Breer. And I don't want to pick on Albert here, but my God, that was a broad statement. I mean, Albert typically seems more careful than that, more measured than that. To tweet last May that not a single NFL evaluator regards Colin Kaepernick as a starter. How in the hell does anybody know that? How does any one person know what every NFL evaluator thinks? Because you'd have to know that every NFL evaluator believes Colin Kaepernick isn't starting caliber. Why do you make a statement like that? What's your agenda? What's your game? What are you trying to gain? So, and people, well, people say, what am I trying to gain? Oh, I'm just trying to get to the truth. Look, I've always been that way. I don't answer to anybody. Now, when it's things that are said on NBC's airwaves, I have a greater degree of sensitivity. But for anything I write at PFT, I write what I believe. My, my beacon is, do I believe it? And I love smoking out bullshit because there's so much of it out there. If you can find an instance of it where you can expose it, that's what motivates me. Because I think part of what the media should be doing isn't just passing along what people say without scrutiny. Shouldn't be an extension of a PR operation. Our constituency is the audience. And even those members of the audience who don't want to hear it, I'm still going to tell you what I think the truth is. That's why I don't care about the politics here. And I'd sure like to think that even if I disagreed, even if I thought that Colin Kaepernick, no matter what he says, no matter what he believes, is a no-good, dirty, rotten scoundrel for failing to stand during the national anthem. And he's disrespecting the flag and the military and the country. And if he doesn't like it, he should just get the hell out. If I felt that way, I'd still like to think I'd be capable of taking a step back and saying, now let's assess this analytically. The NFL gave him the right to protest. The NFL recognized the right when he protested. Last year, when the shit hit the fan, when the president challenged the players in the league and get that son of a bitch off the field and all of that, the NFL reiterated the right to, to protest. How can you hold that against the guy when it comes to an employment right? How can you do that? And how do so many people just refuse to see that? That's fine. That's for them to figure out. And one of these days we'll have a chance maybe to completely disagree as to the facts of the case, because it's too late. This is clearly a political issue. And instead of looking for the truth, we're looking for evidence that will allow us to aggressively advance our version of the truth. That's what we do now. That's where we are now, good, bad, or otherwise. That's how we communicate, and it ain't changing. The NFL reluctantly changing its position when it comes to gambling. And now we know why the NFL wasn't involved in any of the various efforts by sports leagues like Major League Baseball, the NBA, the PGA, to directly communicate with state legislatures in an effort to get an integrity fee. And you know what? The NFL's come up with a better term than an integrity fee. Because what in the hell? An integrity fee. First of all, it implies you currently don't have integrity. Second of all, it implies the only way to get it is to buy it. You don't buy it. You either have it or you don't. It's like grace. Remember that whole Seinfeld thing with Elaine? You either have grace or you don't. You either have integrity or you don't. The NFL trying a different route. The NFL realizing, and maybe the NFL has learned this lesson by the failure 
of baseball, basketball, and golf to get anyone to commit to an integrity fee, maybe the NFL realizes there's another way to, to skin this cat. The statement issued by Roger Goodell on Monday as owners prepare to meet in Atlanta. After fighting in court in recent years, the efforts of Delaware and more recently New Jersey to have legalized gambling and losing a week ago. The NFL lost in the U.S. Supreme Court along with the other sports leagues. Goodell has made it clear that, number one, they're going straight to Congress to try to get what they want. They're not going to waste their time in 50 different states lobbying for an integrity fee, lobbying for uniformity. You get Congress to pass a law that is binding on all 50 states. Now, I still, and I know I said last week, oh, I will read the entire opinion, and I will report back. And you know what? I started reading the thing, and oh, my God, I remembered why I'm so glad to get the hell out of practicing law. I... I, I think the people who are on the Supreme Court are using like a higher level of the English language. Oh, my God. Just look, this is a general piece of advice to anyone out there who writes anything. But it definitely applies to lawyers who I think feel compelled to use words in a way that will impress friends and peers and colleagues and really anyone who happens to read it. Why? Why does everything have to be so damn complicated? Just be direct in your use of prose. Always go for the smaller word. Always go for the more clear explanation of exactly what in the hell you're trying to communicate. And when you're talking about an important document that's going to be scrutinized and read and analyzed and debated, my God, come up with something that the average person can sit down and read and understand. Now, I guess it doesn't surprise me. The Supreme Court still doesn't allow cameras to monitor the proceedings. Maybe they intentionally make the language convoluted so the average person can't crack the code. But oh my God, I got through the first couple of pages and I had a migraine. So I, I, th- I don't think, I mean, look, they are either out of touch and delusional and they don't understand how to properly communicate. They've been waxing on such a high level. They don't know how to communicate with the common folks like us, or they're doing it deliberately as a, as a wall, as a curtain. So only the people who are of sufficient intellect and sophistication will have the ability to discern the secrets of the U.S. Supreme Court as embedded somewhere in this labyrinth of letters and words that they put together. But I, I started to read it, and it was like, oh, my, just shoot me now. I can't handle this. I'm still going to try to do it. See, the problem is... I'm going to I'm going to have to sacrifice like writing three or four posts or getting in a workout or spending some time with my family not that they want to spend time with me but sometimes I want to spend time with them. Like I got to find time where I can say all right, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to focus on on deciphering this uh little orphan Annie code. Don't forget to drink your Ovaltine. All right. Um anyway, the NFL is calling this thing. Eventually, you know, I'm finally going to get to the point, I think. I forget what the point is. The NFL wants four things from Congress. There must be substantial consumer protections. Sports leagues can protect our content and intellectual property from those who attempt to steal or misuse it. Fans will have access to official, reliable league data. And law enforcement will have the resources, monitoring, and enforcement tools necessary to protect our fans and penalize bad actors here at home and abroad. All right. 
This second item, sports leagues can protect our content and intellectual property from those who attempt to steal or misuse it. This means states that try to try to have gambling programs and not give the leagues their cut. They're going to try to get their cut under this, that it's our intellectual property. I don't know if that argument's going to work. And, and if it had any legal standing, a lawsuit would already be filed. This is the, the argument that's going to be made to Congress to try to get Congress to force the states to give them a cut. And they're not going to call it integrity fee. I think they realize integrity fee doesn't work. Now, a week ago, all the NFL was saying is, well, we have to protect the integrity of the game. I think they've had a chance to think it through. And I'd like to think that they've been influenced by opinions like mine, that this integrity fee thing is just a load of crap that no one's going to buy. I mean, Dan Patrick and I was on his show last Thursday. We were laughing about it. It is laughable. Integrity fee. Give me a break. So they, they've come up with something else. And the idea that fans will have access to official, reliable league data, that gets back to the transparency. That was the question that came up Friday from the PFTPM posse. Remember that? The question about how would the Malcolm Butler situation play out in an environment of widespread legalized gambling? Would, would Bill Belichick be able to get away with just benching Malcolm Butler without warning, without notice, without explanation? Just He just didn't play. Why didn't he play? Well, I don't have to tell you. When you say that fans need to have access to official, reliable league data, that means that there is a degree of transparency that the NFL needs to be prepared to force its coaches to respect. And when they talk about fans having access to official, reliable league data, that means we have the official, reliable league data and we'll sell it to the states. That's how they're going to come up with their ways to make money. And I can't fault them for that. I can't blame them for that. All right, one last thing, and I'll answer some questions. This week at the league meetings in Atlanta, I think more evidence is going to come out, more explanation is going to come out, more information is going to emerge about the helmet rule. We are trying to get Troy Vincent, the NFL's executive VP of football operations, on this program. I'm shooting for Wednesday of this week, Wednesday afternoon. I'm trying to get at least 15 minutes with Troy and I just want to have a conversation about this helmet rule. What does it mean? What will be the difference between getting flagged and getting ejected? Will it change between the tackles running? What else will it change? And I think Troy will be in a better position than he is now after these meetings conclude. So I'm trying to do Wednesday afternoon. May have to do Thursday. I don't want to do Friday because, I mean, Friday's Memorial Day weekend. It may disappear into the vacuum, into the abyss into the nothingness. And listen, bad news dump, perfect one's coming. One of the best bad news dumps of the year, Friday afternoon this week, the start of Memorial Day weekend. But I, I, I don't want to do it then. I, I want to do it at a time when people have a chance to digest exactly what he said, because I don't sense that enough people care. I don't sense that enough people are concerned about this helmet rule, and you should be. If you care about football, you should be concerned about it. One last thing before I answer. I keep saying that. One last thing, and I'll have another last thing. Richie Incognito got released today, which is significant because I think he still wants to play. I personally believe that whatever we saw at the start of the offseason program, it was a manifestation of, of some of the issues he's dealt with in the past, and and I think he's gotten himself back under control because we're not seeing a bunch of, of erratic and unpredictable tweets from him. So the Bills are letting him go. They didn't have to. Remember last year when Anquan Bolden retired? They said, nope, nope, uh, we, we hold your rights. They released him, no questions asked. He can sign with anyone he wants. He's a vested veteran. Doesn't have to pass through waivers. It's all happening before the trade deadline. He'll be able to sign with anyone. The question is, will anyone want him? Remember, the Bills were the only ones that wanted him 
after that Jonathan Martin debacle. But I think history and time has proven out that that maybe, maybe, maybe it was exaggerated. Maybe it was overstated. Maybe the reaction was was a little unrealistic. I don't know. But Incognito was the guy who kept playing, and Martin was the guy who didn't. And uh, Martin has engaged in some erratic behaviors uh, of his own in recent months. All right, time to answer some questions. Now all i got to do is find the... I found Batman eating a hot dog, which was fitting because Friday night I put on the PFT Instagram account. The Because uh, we talked about hot dogs on Friday, right? Like I wanted to end the thing early because I was craving hot dogs. And tonight it's Pizza Hut Pizza. We're, we're having a special barn viewing of Game 6 tonight of the Eastern Conference Final. And usually it's only Penguins games, but the Penguins, if you haven't heard, they're out of it. So it's Capitals hosting the Lightning tonight. And it's going to be... I think it's going to be a four-medium night. I'm not sure who's going to be there, but see, what happens is on Monday, if I get four-medium pizzas and we don't have a huge turnout, usually there'll be like two full ones left. I'll give my nephew one. I'll keep the other one, so I'll have a pizza that I can work on the rest of the week. But I think we're going to go two of the Parmesan crust, hand-tossed, grilled chicken and pepperoni. I'll probably do a thin crust pepperoni and bacon, and then I'll do probably a hand-tossed with a different crust I like Italian sausage and onion. I'll probably do that as well, if you were curious. But I don't know. Now I'm looking at this Batman eating the hot dog gif. Uh, Maybe I need to make hot dogs. All right. Let's answer some questions. Let's shut up with that and move on. Here we go. PFTPM Posse, per soon-to-be member, Man of Water 3615. How does cap not being signed factor into the NFL's integrity fee and gambling? Teams not signing Kaepernick means they're not doing everything possible in terms of winning. No integrity, exclamation point. And maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I see what you're saying. I, I mean, look at it this way. We, we've assumed for years that teams are going to do everything in their power to try to win football games. And that was the argument that Roger Goodell gave last year when he was constantly peppered with questions about Kaepernick being shunned by the NFL. Goodell said, well, teams are going to do what they have to do to win games, and so they're going to hire players that will help them win, and if they don't hire a guy, ipso facto, they don't think he's going to help them win. Then when the Ravens finally admitted, well, you know, maybe he'd help us win, but he'd create a problem with our season ticket holders and other associated complications, that's when the commissioner very subtly shifted his explanation from they'll do whatever they have to do to win to they'll do what's ever in their best interest. Look, to the extent that bets are going to be made on teams' chances of winning the championship, I mean, we assume that teams are going to do everything they can to win the championship. We assume they're going to sign the best available players. Sometimes they're not. I don't think that becomes an integrity issue, though, for the NFL. That's too far removed from the week-in and week-out, game-in and game-out effort to win. But think about this, late-season tanking. Now, I don't know if Vegas will factor the temptation to tank into the betting lines, but in an environment of legalized gambling, week 17, 2014, Buccaneers up by 11 at the half, and they bench half their starters because they want to nail down the number one overall pick. How does that go down in an environment of widespread legalized gambling? Is tanking going to create some integrity issues for the NFL? You know what? I hadn't thought about that. It's been a week. It took me a week to come around. Will tanking be something the league takes seriously? Can the league continue to afford to have a temptation to tank? And the official PFT suggestion 
Take the 20 teams that don't make it to the playoffs, have a straight lottery, not weighted for the first overall pick, and all the way down to 20. 21 through 32, you get your spot in round one and all ensuing rounds based upon how you finish. They may have to do that at some point because that's a much greater threat to the integrity of the game and the integrity of the bet than not signing a guy who may help a team win. All right, what else do we have? PFTPM Posse. All right. Uh, I don't get, man, I'll tell you what. I think I think our buddy that runs the PFTPM Posse account has started on the devil's lettuce a little early today, or he's got some residual effects from the weekend. Because this question about Prince Harry and his American wife, uh, I don't get it. PFTPM Posse, another one. Uh, the Posse needs to figure out how to do a special birthday PFTPM or some kind of surprise for an upcoming day of birth that happened nearly 53 years ago. Yes, that's coming up, and it's on a weekday. Now, I think it's a Friday this year. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll take that day off. Maybe I'll go into hiding that day. Uh, PFTPM Posse, you know, our, our buddy who runs the account was out at a Mexican restaurant last night, and he thought he was going to get beaten up because he took a picture of a guy who had on jorts and had some tattoo, City of Dallas tattoo, and the guy was giving him the stink eye. He's got a question about that, but there's really not a question here. It's really not a question. I'm looking for questions. Here we go. Here's one. Wouldn't the NFL collecting an integrity fee make them more liable if and when something that could have been easily avoided does come out, questioning their integrity after a lot of people lose money? Seems they're opening themselves up to more potential liability. I think that's why they're getting away from the integrity fee. Because you're right. You know, we made that point last week. The integrity fee shouldn't be something that the leagues use as a way to go out and harvest money. It should be something, this integrity concept, that they should be scared shitless about. Because if you don't have integrity... If there are gambling scandals that emerge, you may end up with Congress exploring the situation, investigating the situation, and ultimately creating a federal agency like the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is there to protect investors who are gambling their money on securities. This is no different. It's gambling. It's public money being gambled. And you want to do everything you can to ensure that it's a fair bet, that the dice aren't loaded. That the roulette wheel isn't rigged in some way. That's what this is all about. All right, what else do we have here? Peel back the curtain a little bit and tell us what exactly happens at these upfronts from last week. Anything the PFTPM Posse would find interesting, entertaining happen this year? Do you enjoy them or is it a show up and fake it deal that you only deal with because you have to? Now... The upfront week is when, and you may have seen some news generated by some of the networks. It's when all the networks get together and there's an order to it. There isn't competition for who's going to do what. I think there's a ritual as to who does what day. NBC always does Monday. And NBC unveils its fall lineup. Now, one year, they had everyone from Football Night in America at the upfront presentation itself. And the one thing I remember about this, this was 2010. They show a lot of clips of shows that are scheduled to be on NBC. And I don't think half of them ever actually made it. They all look pretty good. I mean, I guess if you can boil any TV show down to a 90 second to two minute clip, it's going to look pretty good. It's the rest of the episode that, you know, has to be not crap to get people to watch it. And I think that there were some that, 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 ultimately didn't make it, but they were in the hopper at the time. And you have, like ABC had Jimmy Kimmel there, and he was telling some raunchy jokes. And you just, you're trying to make the advertisers feel good about everything, so they spend a lot of money 
on your products. And every Monday night of that upfront week, Sunday night football, football night in America, we have a, a dinner where I don't know, there, must, there were over 100 people in that room, and you just go in and you talk football. It's fun. You just talk football with people who care enough about football to spend on behalf of their companies or the clients they represent a lot of money. So that's a fun night of talking football, and you get some uh, decent food, better than decent food. And, uh, you know, if you order one entree that was good, not great, because it was fish, and uh, somebody at your table left before his bone-in ribeye showed up, uh, you find a way to get that bone-in ribeye in front of you so you can uh, sample it before they, you know, take it and throw it away. So that, that was a highlight of the night. I pulled that one off. I had my sea bass because I was determined to not let my suits shrink on me during the week in New York because I was out of my routine. But there was a bone-in ribeye sitting over there. I resisted ordering it. You had three options, chicken, sea bass, and the ribeye, and I wanted the ribeye. But I I knew I was going to Roost Chris the next night to get my last meal meal, the bone-in filet. But boy, that bone-in ribeye looked good. So, yeah. And it had been sitting there for probably 20 minutes, and when I cut it, it was still steaming. And I think it continued to cook on the plate because I don't think it was ordered well done. It was well done by the time I cut into it, and it was still pretty damn good. It's pretty sad when that when that's one of the highlights. But but it was it was really it was a lot of fun and uh, had had some fun talking football with some passionate fans of the game. And I don't know I peeled back the curtain, but I don't know that I told you anything that that you find all that fascinating. Not like there's any crazy things that happen. It's just people talking football. All right. PFTPM Posse per member Mr. Patrick, given Hughes' demonstrable incompetence as a head coach under impossible conditions in Oakland and his continued employment, why wouldn't one conclude that he threw games in Cleveland on orders from Sashi Brown? I, I don't think that that happened because I, I don't think Hugh Jackson was going to listen to Sashi Brown. That was part of the the, the tension there. Somebody told me not that long ago that Hugh Jackson consistently referred derisively to Sashi Brown as the lawyer, i.e. he has no skills whatsoever to be in the job that he holds. I, I don't think that Sashi Brown was going to be telling Hugh to do anything, and I don't think Hugh would have listened. PFTPM Posse member JTrain33 with a set rotation now in place. What are the chances cold weather cities, Minnesota, Detroit, host the Super Bowl again absent a new stadium? What about outdoor stadiums like Seattle, New York, or New England? Look, the new procedure, which we reported last October on Football Night in America, has now come to fruition. The NFL has directly approached Arizona for Super Bowl 57 and New Orleans for Super Bowl 58. They've worked out the deal. They've gotten it done. And that's the new approach. Instead of having a bidding process, they're going to go straight to the first choice. They're going to try to work out the deal. And when the deal gets done... That's it. If the city doesn't want to accept the terms, then they'll have a bidding process. See, the problem was this. For example, a new stadium comes online. So Minnesota is competing with New Orleans and Tampa and wherever. I know the people in New Orleans who spent the time and effort to put the bid together for Super Bowl 52 were pissed off. And they resolved at that point, we're never making another bid when there's a new stadium because we know it's going to be rigged for the new stadium. So I think the NFL had to realize, you know what, instead of playing these cities against each other. Let's just approach one. And and that may be what happens with the draft at some point too. Instead of having this bid process and having 
city's upset because they end up being consistently the bridesmaid. You just go to a city and say, hey, we'd like you to host the draft. We'd like you to host the Super Bowl. Here are our terms. Are they acceptable? Yes, they are. If not, we'll find somebody else. And it worked. They're two for two. They got their first choice, Arizona and New Orleans for Super Bowl 57 and 58, respectively. And will it ever go to a cold-weather city that isn't opening a new stadium? Probably not. I remember after the Indianapolis Super Bowl, all the reviews were positive. It was great. It was a fabulous experience. Everybody was friendly. The weather wasn't as bad as it could have been. And there was buzz. Hey, Indianapolis should get another one. And you know what? Six years later, not a peep of Indianapolis even wanting one. Now, maybe they do, but it's not taking on any real momentum. Now, Dallas wants to get back in after the ice storm debacle of early 2011. But I think it's going to settle into more of a rotation. And I think what may happen is, and I remember at one point there was a, a report that it's going to be like four or five Super Bowl package. So, and we may not find out about them at the time, but I think it's entirely possible that the NFL has gone to New Orleans and not just lined up 58. It could be they've lined up 58, 62, 66, who knows? But at some point, I think it's going to move in that direction. And the rotation, I think, is going to be L.A., Arizona, New Orleans, Miami. Does Houston get in there again? I don't know. I think there's going to be a tight rotation and then a looser rotation. Like a once, like they're going to have a group they go to four or five times, and then they'll mix in a sixth. And then they'll go back to the group four or five times, and then they'll mix in somebody else. Four or five times here, and then they'll, and, and I don't know, maybe they'll become a, a rhythm to it. I mean, look at the, the logos now. The logos are hideous because it's the same thing every year. Maybe it's just going to be Arizona, L.A., Miami, New Orleans, wild card city. Arizona, uh, you, you know, yeah. There's a new Supreme Court ruling that delivers a potential blow to legal rights. I haven't read it yet. It's a Supreme Court ruling, or SCOTUS, as Chris Sims would say. I really wish that when he tried to say that on the air, he would have said SCROTUS. I really wish he would have accidentally said SCROTUS. And then I was trying to get it implanted into his brain so he would, you know, again, trying trying to impress me with his knowledge of the lingo. I was trying so hard to get him to say SCROTUS. And yes, no matter how old I am, I think that's funny. How do you how do you think the SCOTUS ruling today regarding labor laws would affect the AAF, XFL, etc., assuming players don't unionize right away? When should players consider potentially unionizing, if at all? I need to I need to review the the story here. I'm gonna do the like. This comes from Mike Likes Dirt. So I got to check this out, and we'll see if there's anything worth reporting on. First, I got here's a lot of homework assignments. First, I got to read the the story, uh, the, the the opinion from last week that's indecipherable. Now I'm going to have to review the one from this week. All right, I know. Thank you for your service. Sean Alvisher asks, any chance you could get Tim Donahue on PFTPM? Would be interesting to hear his take on what behind the scenes issues will confront refs, team officials, low level interns, etc., with the new gambling ruling. I'm going to like that one as well. I'm going to take that one under advisement. I have no idea how to find Tim Donahue. Didn't he do a book at one point? He's probably out there somewhere. 
Jason Schender of the PFT PM Posse, was there any pushback from 345 Park Avenue and or the owners in regards to the new Ram Stadium's proximity to Hollywood Park Casino? The NFL denied the Raiders Stadium project on that same site in 94 for that very reason. I doubt it because, look, they don't care anymore. They don't care. There's casinos everywhere. That was the argument they made when people were saying, why are you putting a team in Las Vegas? The NFL said, well, there's a casino within reasonable driving distance of every NFL city. Well, that's fine, but you don't walk out of your apartment and get smacked in the face by the Tahoe, or the Caesars, uh, not Tahoe, but the Caesars Palace sign. So I, I don't think they care anymore. I think that ship sailed. Reverend Mark Worth, what do the Vikings have to do to be able to sign Anthony Barr, Stephon Diggs, and Daniel Hunter? They're probably going to have to cut the cord on some veteran players. I just don't think you figure out how to keep everybody. I don't think you keep... You, how do you do that when you've paid... Kirk Cousins, 94 million, 84 million rather, fully guaranteed over three years. The real Forno, have we ever seen a story similar to the Vegas Golden Knights in the NFL? We had a draft today on PFT Live. The best, or not, not the best, the most unlikely Super Bowl teams. And, and I think that the first choice I had, the 99 Rams, that was the closest thing to a team that felt like an expansion team having it all fall together, wire to wire, and just being a great team and making it to the Super Bowl and winning it because they had Trent Green go down. Go down. He was their big free agent acquisition. Tears up his knee in a preseason game. Here comes the grocery bagger, Kurt Warner, that nobody heard of. And Warner ends up being the league MVP, and, and Marshall Falk was great, and Isaac Bruce, and, and uh, Torrey Holt was a rookie in 99, and Oz Hakeem. Tony Horn, remember him? They just had this never-ending supply of guys who, when they got the ball in their hands, they could just go. They were just gone. That I think that's the closest thing to the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, th there's no expansion team since the merger that made it to the playoffs. The Panthers and the Jaguars made it to the conference championship games in their second year. And, and see, this is what the Vegas Golden Knights, well, the Vegas Golden Knights don't need to worry about this. They've already, they've already punched their ticket. The next expansion team in the NHL, I assume there's going to be some sort of correction. Because after the Panthers and Jaguars got to the conference championship games in their second seasons of existence, they made it harder for the Browns in 99 and the Texans in 2002 to quickly load the cannon with talented players. Sergio D., how can the CFL legally force a player to stay for two years? What's stopping a player from just leaving and going to the NFL? Well, if you sign a two-year contract, they enforce it. They come down to the United States and they say, this person has a commitment to us. You're not allowed to sign him. And if you sign him, we're, we're going to sue you for tortious interference with business relations. Where uh, We're going to seek an injunction preventing him from playing for you. It's that simple. Their rule is you got to sign a two-year commitment, and there's no way out. That's their rule. So you either accept it and you play in Canada, or you don't and you, you don't play in Canada. You go to the Alliance of American Football. By the way, Johnny Manziel on PFT Live tomorrow. We'll ask him, why did he choose to go to Canada, even though it's quite possible he's going to be stuck there for at least two years? And think about this. If he's playing in Canada, but he'd be third string in the NFL, isn't that better? Isn't it better to play, improve yourself? than get buried on a depth chart. He has to prove himself for two, three, four years, I think, before an NFL team will trust him as a starter because of what happened in 2014 and 2015 in Cleveland where he proved he was untrustworthy. It gets back to what we were talking about with Tom Brady. Your starting quarterback's got to be all in. Your starting quarterback can't be a clock watcher. 
every workplace has clock watchers, and I used to be one. I, you know, when you have a job that you hate, you're a clock watcher. That's how I knew I didn't want to turn my engineering degree into a career in that industry. I hated it. I was working at a materials laboratory, an internship at the Chevron refinery in the Bay Area. And, you know, the first couple of times I was out there, I kind of liked it. But as it got close to the end and I started having to make a decision and I, and I had law school in my head, I just decided I hate this and I want nothing to do with it. And what do you do? Do you quit and go home in the middle of the summer? I thought about it. It's like, I, this is just dreadful. And I remember sitting there just staring at the clock. You don't want people to have that attitude. You want people who are all in. You need your quarterback to be all in. Your quarterback can't be a clock watcher. So, Johnny Manziel, he proved based on his two years in Cleveland, he's not ready to be all in. He's going to have to be all in in Canada to prove himself and get a chance to go back to the NFL. The Impact 99, what can we expect from Seattle this season? Now that they're going more offensive than defensive, middle of the pack or fighting for the division. They're going to be fighting for the division. People are ready to write them off. They were 9-7 and seven last year. They'll be fine. Any team that has a true franchise quarterback is going to be competitive. They're not just going to go 4-12. and 12. Russell Wilson's not letting that happen. And if Rashad Penny works out, the first-round pick, running back, if he takes a little heat, if he provides some balance to the offense, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Burn unit, I'm blown away by the Reuben Foster case. The DA has been very adamant and determined to take Foster to trial, even with out much, even with much evidence and testimony on Foster's side. Even though they had the recanting info, why is the DA so persistent to take Foster to trial? Now, look, they, they claim they have other evidence that would support the case. In the typical domestic violence case, you've got two people. And if the victim, the alleged victim, isn't willing to testify or gives inconsistent stories, it makes it very difficult to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. If you have other witnesses, you can try to piece together the case. And you know, in this situation, you go to the jury with what the witness originally said. You go in front of the jury with the witness recanting. And, and this is one of those things, and this is the art of trying a case to a jury. Think about, and I don't know that this is the universal reaction, but I know that some people would react naturally and plausibly to the notion that the alleged victim in this case recanted by thinking she got paid off, right? Isn't that what we think now? Haven't we seen it happen enough times that we just assume that's what happened? That that would be a reason for changing your mind? Now, the challenge is for the defense lawyer to play that delicately. You don't confront the alleged victim. Isn't it true that you've been paid off? You don't even argue that directly to the jury. You trust that the people on the jury will get it. And you hope that when it's, oh, wait a minute. No, that's not the defense. That's the prosecutor. You don't raise that as the prosecutor. You put the evidence out there and you hope that the members of the jury will regard what she said the first time as the truth. And what was said the second time isn't the truth. And again, it's a delicate balance. You don't aggressively grill the witness, and maybe you don't even articulate the argument. Because if you say it, 
Then you open the door for the defense lawyer to attack you for being cynical. And there's no evidence. There, and don't you dare consider the possibility that the witness was paid, as the prosecution would have you do. There isn't a shred of evidence to support that. You'd be violating your oath if you consider that. See, that's what you, that's what you open the door for if, as the prosecutor, you mention it. So you just don't mention it. You don't mention it at all. You put your evidence on. You say, we believe the story that was given by the alleged victim closer in time to the actual incident. And that's that. And we await your verdict. And you trust. See, th this is where it's so hard because lawyers feel compelled to overdo it. And, and I know the dynamic. If you work in a firm... When it's time to go back, because trials don't happen all that often anymore, like less than 5% of all civil cases go to trial, and that, that number may be too high now. But if you go back to your law firm, and somebody goes to trial, it's a big deal. Oh, oh, they went to trial. Oh, they actually had a trial? You mean all this shit that we do here eventually culminates in a trial, like once every three years? Wow. And and so you become like the local celebrity, and everybody wants to know how it went. Oh, my God. Oh, oh can, I, can I touch your arm? You actually were in a courtroom? Instead of like hidden in the library doing research and all this other drudgery that never seems to go anywhere, but it sure pays the bills because we're billing by the hour. And what happens is, as you're telling the story about what went on at the trial, you get asked a lot of questions. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you argue this? Did you argue that? And you better be ready when you're back there with your peers, if, especially if you lose, to answer all those questions. Well, yeah, I did that. And yeah, I did this. And yeah, I did that. And yeah, I did everything. And sometimes you do too much. And I think the strategic approach here by the prosecutor needs to be you just put the evidence out there and you trust that the jury will say we choose to believe the version of the events that was supplied at the time we choose to reject what came afterward and you know what we think she got paid off because it's the thing even if it's never mentioned in open court once that sausage making process in the jury room oh my god oh my god i think i've mentioned this before i probably should go but um in 1996, I went to Chapel Hill, North Carolina for a very intense 10-day trial training excursion. And it's, I learned so much. And at the end, everybody did a trial where they brought in a jury of local citizens, and they paid them, I don't know, 50 bucks and a box lunch, and they get into it. They get into it like like you you quickly suspend the whole disbelief and you get into it and it feels real and the, the witnesses testify and they go back and they deliberate and they know that we're watching and listening and the stuff that they focus on like 95% of it would be completely inadmissible and it's all like well I got a cousin who has a friend who and this happened to him oh and what about this and what about that and just stuff that you could have never said and so I think that that's that's the art form here you have to trust that the jury if you're the prosecutor, the jury is going to say, yeah, yeah, we think she got paid off. That, I think that's what, the, and, and again, I'm not making a value judgment here. I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong. I'm saying that would be an explanation as to why the prosecutor is hell-bent on going forward. Because the prosecutor believes when a jury hears all of this, if you play it the right way, you're going to have people in that jury room say, this guy's guilty. And she's lying now. She was telling the truth then. She's lying now. And I think she got paid off. Even if there's not a shred of evidence Nothing stops a jury from coming to that conclusion. All right, let's see what else we got here. 
Burn unit for play-by-play betting. How does the house protect itself from losing money on obvious passing downs, such as third and long, or an obvious Hail Mary attempt? I think it's off the board. I think there's a certain point where it's so obvious that a pass is coming that you take it off the board. Now, here's the other thing, too. Even if it's a pass play, there's no guarantee the pass is going to go, you know, it's going to leave. I think the, the, the requirement's going to be the ball has to be thrown. There has to be a pass attempt. So if you get sacked, no pass attempt. So I don't know. You set the odds accordingly, and they'll have experts at setting the, the, the odds before every play. And, you know, there's going to be a risk you lose some. There's going to be a risk you win some. It's all going to happen so quickly. I, I don't, you know, I, I think that they'll figure out how to do it in a way that, that the house makes money. The house always wins. The house will have it all planned out, and, and they will always, always win. Burn unit will the ha- will the owners vote for an end of game rule change for the extra point now that gambling will be legal? I think they did that where you don't do the end of game extra point. I think they already passed that. I'm pretty sure they did. You're you're, you're making me doubt what I think I know. I think in March they passed that one, where. For example, when the Vikings won with the Minneapolis Miracle, they didn't have to bring everybody back out. They won't have to bring everybody back out on the field to do the extra point. Brady says, if you keep using hot dog-related gifts for the rest of time, I won't be upset. Hashtag America. Let me tell you, we, I, I make, I'm going to make a confession. The hot dogs were so good on the new Grill Friday that we had hot dogs again on Saturday. Now, we augmented the hot dogs with, uh, I had a few steaks, so you know what the hell. The grill's on, we'll put the steaks, just some fillets. But the hot dogs, I had four hot dogs, not in one sitting, two Friday and two Saturday. It was a good weekend. Thin layer of chili, a little bit thicker layer of slaw. And uh, if we weren't doing the Pizza Hut pizza tonight, um, I think it would be another hot dog night. All right, let's see what else we have here. Let me finish where I started. Reverend Mark Worth asks, how big of a deal is it really that Tom Brady isn't at OTAs? If you've been listening for the last 75 minutes, holy shit. I didn't mean to go this long today. If you, if, and you may need a, re- a refresher because it was so long ago because we started the show with this. It is a big deal when the starting quarterback's not there for OTAs. It's a very big deal. It's not just a red flag. It is a sea of red. It is a blaring warning signal that something seriously is askew something is amiss and Tom Brady is not happy and when your starting quarterback isn't there isn't engaged it's not just for his benefit because you can say hey Tom Brady can show up and he'll be good to go but what about all the other guys that need to get to know him how to catch his passes the new guys that they've added whether through the draft or free agency Sony Michelle for example those guys need to work with him Julian Edelman was gone all last year. Now, they'll get together and work out, and I think they've already made plans to do that. But it's a heck of a way to stick it to Bill Belichick, and that's what this all comes from. I think he's sticking to Bill Belichick because he thinks Bill Belichick has been sticking it to him. All right. Uh, boy, there's some good questions here, but um, I mean, it's been an hour and 15 minutes. Surely you people have other things to do. I appreciate you. If you've made it all the way to the I need to have... I need to have a code word that I use. For those of you who make it all the way to the end and you want to impress me that you listen to the whole thing. Now, the problem is I can't do this for very long because then what will happen is people will just listen to the last minute. Maybe I need to have a code word that I use like like two different ones, like one that just is some random spot. I don't know. That's kind of dumb. All right, today's code word. Uh, 
Let's see. I got the record and fact book. I'm going to pull out an obscure name of an NFL player. I got to turn on the light because I can't see anymore without the light on. I can see. I can see fine, and I'm able to drive under all conditions without corrective eyewear. So just want that out there in case I, you know, end up off the road tonight. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Mark Sanchez. All right. If you listen to the whole thing and you tweet a response uh, to any tweet, Mark Sanchez, I'll know that uh, somebody made it through the entire PFTPM podcast. Thanks for your time today. We'll do it again tomorrow. Remember, Troy Vincent, we're trying for Wednesday with him. Also, Peter King has agreed to do this. We're going to do it at some point in June before he joins us full-time at NBC and uh, working on some other ideas for some folks to get on here as well. Enjoy your day. We'll talk Tuesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.